Hello, and welcome. Bartleby. Yes, Artemis? Is this introduction really necessary? Well, it's the beginning of the show, so yeah, it's totally necessary. No, I mean, is it necessary that we do it every episode? Uh, yeah. What if we have a new listener and this is their first episode? If they're just starting now, they should turn around immediately and run away. We're the Kinetic Paranormal Society. A pair of socks in a magic wardrobe, traveling through time and space, investigating the supernatural. Well, they can't say I didn't warn them. You're listening to Metacosmos. If we're going to do this, let's just get it started. Let me get my notes. Um, hold on. Before you get your notes, uh, maybe we can marinate the episode. You know, get warmed up, start talking. How you doing, Artemis? What you been up to? Got any plans? Do you want to ask me about my plans and what I'm up to? Oh, fine. Well, let's just, let's just skip straight to that. Bartleby, do you have any plans coming up? Something, anything you're obviously hinting to talk about? Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you asked. Actually, I just wanted to, like, talk about, um, for starters, that we're going to do a live show soon. A, a live show? Of Metacosmos. It's going to be amazing. We're going to do this in front of people. Yeah. And they're going to look at us while we're podcasting? This feels, this feels wrong, Bartleby. I don't want anyone to know I'm doing this. Well, like plenty of people already know, like our growing listening audience in Portugal. Hello, Portugal! We have a, what? A growing audience? You didn't tell me the audience was growing. Oh, you have no idea, Artemis. It's going to be amazing. Who knows? Maybe they'll fly in for our live show. The live show. We're going to do this, oh God, in front of people. Yeah, we're going to be doing it at the House of Nice at like 8 o'clock on the 6th of, um, what's that month called? Oh, October. Oh, dear. This, this is not something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. This is something I'm dreading. Yeah. We can talk about that on the show. We can like dis- we can have that be like some of the content, but we're going to be taking questions from people. So like if you're like listening right now and you're like there's no way I'm going to be able to make it to the House of Nice in Eureka, California by October 6th, you can like just send us a message. There's like so many ways to do that. Bartleby, please stop. You can just go to like our website, kineticparanormalsociety.com, and there's, like, a form, and you can fill it out and ask us a question. You can also, like, find us on social media, I think. I don't really go on there regularly, but I, like, you know, I check it sometimes. You make me check the email. And you do a good job of it. So, anyways, yeah, you guys, I can't wait to see you live and do this. I can wait. And it's going to be awesome. So, that, I think, brings us around to the main topic of the episode. Oh, right. Here we go, then. So, as I was saying, there is a writer's and actor's strike currently happening. Yes, and it, you know what, Artemis? It's been happening for, like, months. And I honestly think it's still going to be happening next week. Well, probably, yes. And I was thinking that maybe... We could just put off this episode again. But no, we, this is a topical subject. Exactly. And it's going to be topical next week, too. Trust me, this isn't ending next week. No, it's probably not. 
And imagine if it was like a running gag where like you constantly think we're going to be having that episode and then, and then we don't and we do it all under the premise that like it's not going to end the next week after the next week, right? Probably not. And probably not the week after that, right? No. No, it won't. So this could be really funny. Yeah, so let's do your economics episode next week, right? Right? Stop. This isn't funny. Yeah, we're going to do the economics episode next week. Then what are we talking about this week? This is, this is all planned. It's all on the calendar. Yeah, but it's a running gag. Just, you know, bear with me here. But Bartleby, when, when are we going to do my episode? Next week. Really? Yeah, because the, the strike's going to be still going on next week. You know, right? Right? But eventually we need to talk about it. It's topical. It's happening right now. It's an important topic. I want to do an episode about economics. And I think it should start with a topical moment that everyone's experiencing and can feel the actual repercussions for so that we can really get into the grit of things. Yeah, next week. It's going to be amazing. But your running gag. What running gag? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, here we go. Check it out. We got a fan letter. No. Yeah. We got a fan letter, and it also came with a question, and you know how much I love it when we get questions. Bartleby, are we going to do it next week? We are, right? Of course, yes, yes. We're going to talk about the strike next week, because it's going to be still happening, and so it's going to be the perfect time to talk about it. I don't trust you. So, yeah, our fan, our fan wrote in, and our fan says, um, our fan says, uh, dear Bartleby and Artemis. Wait, you know what? Artemis, Artemis. I think you should read the letter. Why me? Well, I just realized it's kind of part of our format. Here, here you take it. Okay. All right, here we are. Um, let's see here. All right. Dear Bartleby and Artemis, I really enjoy your Star Trek review episodes. I hope you can make them more often because I just don't think I can wait 80-something years to hear your review of all of them. In the meantime, I have a question about your review style. Most of the other Star Trek reviews I listen to take a Watsonian perspective, but your reviews seem to be more doyalist, and sometimes they feel like something in between the two. How would you describe it? Is it Watsonian, or is it doyalist? Oh, that is a very good question. Oh, it's signed, Let's Trek About It. Oh, how cute. That's a nice little moniker they've taken on. Yeah, okay, let's trek about it. Indeed, let's trek about it, let's trek about it. Watsonian versus Doyleist. Don't you think we should explain these terms to the audience? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so, we, so for starters, Watsonian um, refers to... Um, what's it refer to again? Watson. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Sherlock. Oh, man. I was going to just start kind of making it up off the top of my head. Yes, you do that a lot. I have a prescription against it, especially for this show. So let me just take the lead here. A Watsonian perspective is named after Watson, and the Doyleist is named after Conan Arthur Doyle, referring to the writer of the Sherlock Holmes books. You see, for both Watson and Doyle, both wrote about Sherlock Holmes, but one of them did it within the book and the other one did it within our world, writing the book 
that Watson wrote. So, in a sense, it becomes both a Watson's perspective and Doyle's perspective. Oh, oh, yes, yes, okay, I remember this now. I totally got this. Okay, so when someone's like, hey, why did Sherlock not see that clue? And then Watson has one answer and Doyle has a different answer. Exactly. So, for instance, if if a clue was missed and you put that question forward to Watson, Watson would might say, oh, well, it's because Sherlock, he was underslept that night and he just didn't quite notice that. But if you were to ask why did Sherlock not see that clue to Doyle, he would probably say something maybe like, oh, well, I had a deadline and there was no time to edit it again. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think that neither of those make sense. How do you mean, Bartleby? Well, let's be honest. If we ask Watson, why did, did uh, Sherlock do that? And Watson says, oh, because he missed the clue. Sure. But the only person we have to account for Watson explaining that to us is Doyle. Doyle is, like, telling us what Watson said. What if Doyle isn't listening to Watson right, and Doyle miswrote down what Watson said? But Watson's a fictitious character, and Doyle is a real person, so... Yeah, but the the whole idea here is that we're trusting that Doyle is paying attention to Watson. So when you're like, oh, I couldn't do another edit, what Doyle's really saying is... I couldn't be bothered to go check and ask Watson again because Watson really was the one who would know. And if he was going to do it right, he would have to ask Watson, hey, Watson, how'd that happen? And then do his edit. But the thing is, is that the Doyleist perspective is always going to come down to someone being unwilling to put in the work and go and listen to Watson and find out what really happened. Like, come on, that's all it ever comes down to. You're like, oh, well, the editor actually, or the producer of the movie vetoed that and changed the story. Like, yes. And the point is, though, sure, they might have made it a fun way to make it a fun story, but they got the account wrong. Huh. So, yeah, it's because it's in between Watson and Doyle. There's just, there's this space, as Let's Trek About It was referring to, I don't know what we would call it. It's like some people say that rather than saying Watson and Doyle, it should be called Bilbo and Tolkien. And they have a very good point. But technically, Watson came before Bilbo, so I guess he caught dibs on that. Yeah, he totally did. But like one of my favorite examples of trying to get the story right is all the people trying to write Star Trek. Oh, don't get me started. Please, I want you to, I'm, I'm here to get you started, Artemis. I think that's what Let's Trek About It is here for, too. Everyone wants to get you started. So, specifically, the Klingons. Perfect point. Exactly. The Klingons. It's almost like they knew the Klingons were there, but through the fog of their own, um, I might be ignorance, or you might call it budget. I think it's budget. Well... Even when they had budget, if things started changing again, everything got weird. Oh, yeah, they got real weird. Do you want, do you want to tell us about it, Artemis? Yes. So, well, the first depiction of the Klingons. Back in the original series, they just added a little bit of facial paint to their 
eyes and gave them crazy brows and, and made them look a little extra exaggerated in their theatric makeup. And, and they just said, that's a Klingon because it's all they could afford. Yeah, but, but what happened next? Well, next came the movies of the original series. And suddenly, they had movie budgets. And along with their movie budgets, they started coming up with bombastic plots and ridiculously bigger and bigger headlines for each movie, which personally, I don't really care for. I know. So, then they also had the budget, though, this is something I do enjoy, to have the Klingons not just be some sort of silly makeup thing where they put darker shading around their brows and and cheeks and whatnot, but instead they added prosthetic makeup that more captured the feeling of the Klingon that could not be afforded in the original series. Yeah, they went back and they asked Watson, Hey, Watson, what did the Klingon really look like? Watson did not know anything about Klingon. I mean, like the proverbial Watson, whoever was like the eyewitness within the Star Trek universe that the writers were tapping into to be able to tell the Star Trek story. Okay, yes, okay, then. Your Watson stand-in, as you will. Yeah, so they checked in with the Watsons of the Star Trek universe and were like, hey, what'd they really look like? And they were like, oh, dude, it was like, their faces were all, like, ridgy and bumpy and they had some, some crazy facial hair that came out of the side of their cheeks. Oh, yes. That actually becomes problematic for me later. Let's cover that later, okay. So, what happened next? What happened next? Well, actually, not much happened next. The Klingons stayed pretty much the same throughout the next generation and, and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. It just kind of continued in the same fashion because they had a relatively equal budget throughout and, and so the visual appearance stays the same. But then we get these, these new Star Treks that came out recently, one called Discovery. Um, I thought you said you weren't watching those. Well, I had to start somewhere to decide I wasn't watching them. Oh, okay. So then they had these Klingons appear. And they decided, well, we have a much bigger budget than ever before. So now we're going to put even more budget into our Klingons because the Star Trek before us had a bigger budget than the Star Trek before it. And they put more budget into their Klingons. So they thought it was some sort of tradition they had to uphold to depict Klingons in a more expensive manner. And what happened? Well, they just added so much prosthetic to them that the actors could barely move. They couldn't eat any food. It was a miserable experience for everyone, and they had to take it back and dial it down. And now they're doing some sort of other way of making the Klingons look, where they're using some sort of, I can't tell exactly what's going on, but the prosthetics are built differently, and... Also, it's like high definition right now, so you can see it. Yes, but I don't think that's really the problem. It's something else is going on. I don't know what it is, but they're not quite the same. It's almost like they're trying to make a budgeted version of the other Klingons before, so maybe they're trying to make it a little cheaper but not have us notice, is what I'm suspecting. Yeah. And then there's Worf's facial hair. What's wrong with Worf's facial hair? Well, he's, he's got facial hair in the middle of his lip now, and, and that's not what Klingons look like. Well, maybe the actor didn't want to shave. Maybe. But it still doesn't seem right. It's just fudging the world building. And I think it's for budget reasons. No one wants to take the time to ask Watson. I'm telling you, that's what it is. It's just being lazy. Sometimes, some writers don't want to talk to Watson because they're looking to tell the story in some sort of way 
that's like totally biased and totally prejudiced and has their view of reality totally front-loaded. And when they do that, it's because they are just wanting to have like their their worldview told on top of some story that happened in some fictitious universe that was real there. And they're just trying to put their worldview on it and like layer it on like the frosting of the cake so everyone has to eat it. And so they don't want to talk to the Watson, their stand-in Watson of the world they're writing about because if they really got to know what really happened, maybe their worldview wouldn't be um, at all relative to like the experiences people are having. You know, that's, that's probably true. But sometimes there's like universes where one writer thinks they know what's happening, but their truth is to stop that writer from messing it up. How do you mean? Oh, you're going to love this pivot. Oh, no. Star Wars. Could we not? Yeah, Star Wars. Okay, so, like, George Lucas, he was trying to figure out what happened in the Star Wars universe. He had all these notes. He's the original guy trying to figure out the Star Wars universe. And what does he do? He, like, he has some crazy ideas, and he needs to be kind of dialed down by the people around him to get the actual Star Wars universe and hear the story. So, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he wasn't going to die. Um, maybe there's spoilers, you should say, a spoiler warning. Um, I, everyone knows this, right? We might have listeners who don't know this. Okay, uh, spoiler warning, Obi-Wan Kenobi dies, and let's just do spoilers throughout for all of Star Wars. Fine. So, yeah, that wasn't in the plan. Luke was never actually thought to be the son of Darth Vader in the first one. Lucas came up with that later, and, and probably someone hinted it to him, and the whole, like, brother and sister thing with Luke and Leia, and, like, it's all, like, he's stumbling through it at the suggestions of the people around him, and it was only because everyone was kind of, like, listening to their own hearts and feeling it out and telling him what felt real to them that everyone collectively managed to listen to Watson. Hmm. Is that really a thing, though? Yeah, well, take like, people call it like death of the author, and a lot of fanfics are like bent on trying to tell it the way that they want to tell it, and maybe some of those fanfics are actually the real way the story went. Well, we don't know. Who knows? Because you have to really open your heart to find out really what happened and what what went down in the adventure. But like the truth is still out there, and it's a matter of putting aside our own assumptions and. George Lucas was willing to hear out everybody's suggestions when he made those first three, and that's why they're so good. Yeah, they're amazing. But the other ones... Don't talk about the other ones. The other ones, um, maybe he didn't have as much feedback as he wanted and needed because he had his blinders on like everybody does. And so we got it at a skewed version of that universe, and we have since gotten many skewed versions, and it's become a weird, distorted bastardization. <sighs> so, what were you talking about? I, I, I kind of zoned out for a moment there. I was thinking about the how good those first movies are, the, the only three movies. Artemis, we're done. We've healed this, remember? We're Rainbow Jedi now. We've accepted all the colors. I'm still working on it. There, there, Padawan. You will figure it out one day. So, yeah. There's some other examples I was thinking we could give because, you know, like, there's perhaps, like, have you seen Watchmen? 
the movie. No, no, the book is much more preferable. No, but the, the TV show that came after it. Oh, yes. Oh, that was something else. And did you know that Alan Moore, the creator, he refuses to watch it. He doesn't even want to think about it. He's totally denounced it because he's so sick of people bastardizing what he makes. Really? That's surprising. Well, I don't think it's that surprising. Have you heard some of the stuff Alan Moore says? He's a cool dude, but he can be a curmudgeon. Well, rightfully so. He does have a lot of his stories bastardized in film form. But The Watchmen show was particularly profound and, and very much felt in sync with listening to the proverbial Watson of that universe. Yeah, I thought so too. This is what I'm not doing spoilers for. It, like, brought that story that started there and caught it up with the world we're in. And so, if you haven't read the book Watchmen, it's, like, kind of brutal. I'll give you that. And then and then this show that came out after it was brutal in its own right and very timely, I think, for coming out in 2019. Yes. It was almost prophetic. Yeah, scarily so. So, anyways, yeah. So people can totally listen to the same universe and vibe with someone else's Watson and bring an authentic feeling to it. Because I think what really comes down to is that both Alan Moore and Lindelof, the guy that made the Watchmen TV show, they both, I guess, had a similar spark of, of just something that made them listen from a very similar skewed perspective. So their biases were similar, is what I'm saying. So they had similar biases. So they could write a similar universe. And so it's no one really sees into these fictitious universes without their bias. And so that's what makes it really hard for fiction to come through in an honest way. But as long as everyone's willing to try, we can get there. So you're implying that there's a, a truth behind fiction is, is really at the core of this. Well, as a talking, walking... Thinking, therefore I am in sock. Um, yeah, I think there is. I'm gonna confidently stand by that declaration. So, yeah, thanks a lot for uh, asking such an amazing question. Let's trek about it. I hope you guys out there are having a beautiful day. This was another episode of Metacosmos. I'm Bartleby Nehi, and I'm here with my brother Artemis. And you guys are so cool. And I just wanted to let you know that this show could not be here without your love because it's through the support of listeners like you that we're here. And you can, if you're not already doing it, it's like there for you to do on patreon.com slash bluefoot. You can become a contributor to the energy that keeps our producer going. And this show is also made with the support of Humboldt Hot Air at HumboldtHotAir.org. You can listen to so many cool things at any given moment, live streaming on HumboldtHotAir.org. And also, be sure to go to KineticParanormalSociety.com and, like, ask a question, especially for our live show coming up. But, like, you know, look around, listen to all the old episodes, check out our other podcast, look at our kinetic racing. It's so cool. You're going to love it. It'll be, like, one of your favorite places just to occasionally come by and visit on the internet and say, Hey, KPS, how you guys doing? So, yeah, do that. This show is produced by Isaac Bluefoot. And Isaac Bluefoot also produces Superman Sonnebel, the unauthorized biography of Clark Kent. And you can listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts and go to like, Sonnebel Podcast. 
com, and you can like listen to it there and it's great it's like a super wholesome book and i think everyone needs more wholesome storytelling in their life come on like right and speaking of wholesome and storytelling have you tried omen quest cards yet because they're amazing they are so cool they got ways for you to play games but it's more than games. There's like something magical happening in, in, in between the cracks and crevices of your heart and your soul and your mind as you play the game. It's like, it's magic. Get on that at omenquestcards.com. So, yeah, you guys are so cool. And I just want to make sure you know, I love you. Now, Bartleby, we're definitely doing an economics episode next week talking about the writers and actors strike, correct? Yeah, totally. It's definitely going to be happening next week. But this isn't like a bit you're doing. Oh, no. Definitely not a bit.